0: This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts, this is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Thursday, the first day of February 2024, and this is a po- Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble, and then the audio podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian podcast community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com, check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there, and you are certain to find something worth listening to, I guarantee it. How you doing this morning? Oh, a quick reminder, I will not be here tomorrow. I have winter retreat up at Camp Utmost, where I will go be a cabin counselor for a group of young men yet to be determined. <laughs> um... I'm sure the camp director has a, has a uh, list. I'm not sure even what cabin I'm in. Normally they put me in cabin six because I'm an old man and I like being closest to the bathhouse. Um, because I have to get up in the middle of the night. Just that's life. <laughs> um, don't know how much snow is up there. We've got it. the, the weather report saying it's going to be in the forties and rainy on Saturday. So I don't know that the uh, cardboard and duct tape sledding competition is going to take place this year. Um, Very difficult to build and sled cardboard and duct tape sleds in the rain, um, even if there's snow on the ground. Um, uh, Cardboard does not react well to being wet. Uh, As I'm sure you know, so I'm I'm wondering about our activities because that uh, that sledding competition is the normal big deal as far as that goes, where they have to build and then race their cardboard sleds, cardboard and duct tape. That's all they're allowed. (laughs) Teams of four. The sled has to hold all four people as it comes down the mountain. Um, It's a fun time. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, if you scroll back to last year's, to look at my Facebook from last year, my Twitter from last year, I think I posted a couple of videos (laughs) of, of, uh, sleds coming down the hill. Um, they went a lot further than I was expecting them to. They, they actually do pretty good, but not in the rain. So we're going to have to see what, uh, what the weekend brings, but, uh, all that to say there will not be a squirrel chatter tomorrow because I'm not going to be here. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be here in the morning, but, uh, it is my intent to sleep in tomorrow so that I am well rested for my, uh, time with teenagers. <laughs> um, because you know, it's Friday evening, all day Saturday, and then Sunday morning. And, uh, the, the conference ends right after lunch. Um, it's funny. Oh uh, yeah, the our pastor normally the first Sunday of every month is communion Sunday at Frenchtown Community. But uh um with the winter retreat this weekend, myself and one of my fellow elders are both counseling up there. So um the uh the pastor decided that we would push communion to the second Sunday of February. Um because, uh, you know, he kind of needs us to serve communion. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a small church. It's not like we have dozens and dozens of ushers. Um, so that was the plan. Mm. All right. So let me see. We have, oh, the other thing. I woke up this morning. You know, we're just a, just a couple of weeks, a few weeks away from Shepherds Conference because it's, it's right there at the beginning of March. And um, I woke up this morning to news reports that Alistair Begg has been dropped from the Shepherds Conference lineup. I find this very saddening. Um, I'm, 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 I'm perfectly in agreement and understanding of his not being included in the lineup at Shepherds Conference. With everything that's going on, it would be a huge distraction. It would, even if he came out today and repented, and said, "You know, I've listened to all these people's counsel, and I've rethought my position, and I was wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera," it would still dominate the 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 conference. Um, and if he continues as he has this last week, with a doubling down of his position it would certainly overshadow the conference. Um, So I think it's best for the conference that he not attend. And in a lot of ways, I'm thinking it might be best for, for Alistair too. Uh, It'd be nice if, if he, you know, if he did rethink (laughs) his position, um, because he's getting pushback from not, you know, pharisaical, fundamentalists he's getting pushback from a lot of his friends um I read that uh, many of his fellow elders at Parkside disagree with his um advice so staff and and there's 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 a hubbub going on in Ohio right now um at at Parkside Church to my understanding um and, you know, I don't know any details. I actually don't know anybody there, um, because I don't think I do. Um, I did at one time. I have spoken to Alistair Begg twice in my life, once on the phone and once in person. Very gracious at both times. Um, he was very influential um, early on in my ministry, um, regard, you know, just listening to his messages. Um, influential in my preaching uh influential in my ecclesiology um you yeah, know listening to him preach through the pastoral epistles um was formative to me um he was he was somebody that I was listening to early on as I was discovering the doctrines of grace and so his he, he's been um for I don't know how long he's been on the radio, but I've been listening to him for well over 20 years. Um, and he has always been somebody that that I didn't agree, you know, certainly don't agree with him on everything. Don't agree with his eschatology. Don't agree with some of his ecclesiology. Like I said, his his views were formative in my views, but they weren't exclusive. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, I, there's been issues that I've taken with Alistair, but uh, nothing quite to this extent. this is this is actually not good. Um, it's going to it's going to be harmful to the church. it's it's uh, it's taking the legs out of uh, out from under a lot of pastors who would stand firm on the issue and and so i I understand that that uh, why he has been dropped. I have not seen any official announcement from Shepherd's conference. When I checked the website, it's, st- it has not been changed or updated yet, but the, the article that I read, which was from well, Janet Medford shared it. And I don't remember what publication it was. Um, but uh, it contained a quote from Phil Johnson. And, and I have not, I have not been texting any of my friends down at, at, grace about this i don't i don't like to jiggle people's elbows (laughs) and and i'll find out when when everybody else finds out um i I don't i don't like to the only public the only private message i sent in the last couple of days about any issue of import um other than you know we had a a church member whose pump was out and I was in communication with the other elders and deacons about getting that fixed. But that's not, you know, um, but the, the only thing that I did is I I contacted Peter Gaiman at shepherd seminary um, because I had heard that Dr. Larry Pettigrew had passed away and, and he had, and, and that was, you know, and I just I just contacted him to confirm it because I hadn't seen any kind of official announcement. I had just seen somebody on on Facebook offering condolences, and so I wanted to confirm it before I said anything. Um. And and Dr. Pettigrew did indeed pass away. I think that was Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. Um. But that's the only, you know that I, I sent somebody a, a text saying, Hey, what's going on? I have not been texting, you know, Phil or, or any of the people, you know, that I know at grace church, you know, Phil or Mike or, or, or anybody about what's going on with beg and shepherds conference. Cause they don't need me looking over their shoulder. I'll find out when I find out, I don't need to be on the inside of these things. Um, and I, like I said, I don't want to jiggle anybody's elbow. Um, they don't need the distraction. But Phil commented in this article um, that Doctor MacArthur had spoken to Pastor Bag and and that indeed that the Pastor Bag would not be speaking at Shepherds Conference. So n- nothing official yet from Grace Church or the Shepherds Conference organizers. So that is that. All right. What do we got coming up today? We have our scripture reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Thursday, so it's Theology Thursday. We are in the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 19 of the Law of God, Paragraph 5. Coffee, wonderful stuff. I am using my steeple house coffee mug this morning. Steeple house coffee is the coffee shop at grace community church, uh, right there on the grace walk. Um, looking forward to having some coffee from there in the coming month. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. Um, and, uh, they do a good job, good coffee. There's a, uh, There's also a restaurant on on campus, Grace Grill. And um, mostly it's there to, it's like, you know, you've got a bookstore, you've got a, a Grace Grill, which does fantastic burgers. And you've got this coffee shop, Steeple House Coffee. And what a lot of people don't realize, they think, you know, what is a church doing with all that? Hey, it's a big church. but it's also the campus of the master seminary so having you know if you go to a your college campus there's a coffee shop there's a restaurant there's a bookstore so you know this is a a graduate school and and having a coffee, a coffee shop and a restaurant and a bookstore are not that unusual <laughs> so um you know we don't need to uh, Read any more to that. I mean, it, we're not talking about a secret sensitive church with a coffee shop in the lobby. Um, although, can I be honest? I don't object to a coffee shop in the lobby. I don't object to a church having a coffee shop. I say that as a coffee drinker. <laughs> I like being able to drink coffee. Um, and there's never been, there is a social aspect to church where we gather around, but Not all of the, you know, coffee and snacks have to be free. There's a cost involved. And, you know, it's not something. Now, here's the thing. I have been to morning services at Grace Community Church. And I've only ever visited two fellowship groups. Um, Normally, I'm in Grace Life with, with Phil and Mike preaching, Um, and I have a lot of friends in Grace Life, but I have also visited um, one other group, and the name, what they call it, I'm not, I don't remember, but both of these both of those groups had, you know, coffee and donuts laid out for people for free, you know, it's not, this is not a money grubbing thing, nor is it a trendy thing that they have a coffee shop on, on campus. Um, That's just kind of a weird aside, but it occurred to me because I have heard people critical of, you know, get rid of the coffee shop in the lobby. There's nothing wrong with a coffee shop in the lobby. Just like there's nothing wrong with a bookstore in the church. If the book is, if the church is big enough. And there's nothing wrong with big churches. The problem is when size is what matters. But that's a topic for another day. All right. Let us begin, 15 minutes into the program, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep, And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins, and serve you with a quiet mind, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, our scripture reading today is Genesis 37 and Psalm 37. Genesis 37. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. When Jake, Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth along with the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back an evil report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him in peace. Then Joseph had a dream, and he told it, told it to his brothers, So they hated him even more. And he said to them, "'Please listen to this dream which I have had. "'Indeed, behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, "'and behold, my sheaf rose up and also stood upright, "'and behold, your sheaves gathered round "'and bowed down to my sheaf.' Then his brothers said to him, "'Are you really going to reign over us? "'Are you really going to rule over us?' So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words." Then he had still another dream and recounted it to his brothers and said behold I have had still another dream and behold the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me and he recounted it to his father and to his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him what is this dream that you have had surely I and your mother and your brothers really come to bow shall I and your mother and your brothers really come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? And he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, They have journeyed from here, for I heard them saying, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And they saw him from a distance. And before he came close to him, they plotted against him to put him to death. Then they said to one another, "'Here comes this dreamer.' "'So now come, and let us kill him, and cast him into one of the pits. "'And we will say, A wild beast devoured him. "'Then let us see what will become of his dreams.' "'But Reuben heard this, and delivered him out of their hands, and said, "'Let us not strike down his life.' "'Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. "'Cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, "'but do not put forth your hands against him.' that he might deliver him out of their hands and return him to his father. Now it happened, when Joseph reached his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and cast him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted up their eyes and saw, and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh, going to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What gain is it that we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garments. Then he returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please recognize it, whether it is your son's tunic or not. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar Pharaoh's officer the captain of the bodyguard And now Psalm 37 of David Do not fret because of evil doers be not envious toward doers of unrighteousness for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb Trust in Yahweh and do good Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in Yahweh, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahweh, trust in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Be still in Yahweh and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out schemes of wickedness. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who hope for Yahweh, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. You will look carefully at his place and he will not be there. But the lowly will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked schemes against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their swords will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but Yahweh sustains the righteous." Yahweh knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil, and in the days of famine they will be satisfied. But the wicked will perish. Excuse me. And the enemies of Yahweh will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish in smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be cut off. The footsteps of man are established by Yahweh, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because Yahweh is the one who sustains his hand. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. All day long he is gracious and leads his, and, le, and lends, and his seed is a blessing. Depart from evil and do good, so you will dwell forever. For Yahweh loves justice and will not forsake his holy ones. They are kept forever, but the seed of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to put him to death. Yahweh will not forsake him in his hand. He will not condemn him when he is judged. Hope for Yahweh and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away, and behold... He was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Observe the blameless man and uphold the upright. For the man of peace will have will have posterity, but a transgressor will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their strength in time of distress. Yahweh helps them and protects them. He protects them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Now our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1 by John MacArthur. Today's devotional is The Narrow Gate, Part 2. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Dr. MacArthur writes, Entering through the narrow gate makes a few demands on a person passing through. First, he must enter alone. You can bring no one else and nothing else with you. Some have suggested that the gate is like a turnstile. Only one person can get through at a time and with no baggage. The narrow gate also demands that we must go through naked. This is a gate of self-denial. You can't carry the baggage of sin and self-will. The way of Christ is the way of the cross, and the way of the cross is self-denial. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, Matthew 16, 24, and 25. The narrow gate also demands repentance. Many Jews believe that merely being a Jew, a physical descendant of Abraham, was sufficient for entrance into heaven. Many people today believe that being in a church or even being a good human being qualifies them. But the way of repentance, of turning from their own way and their own righteousness to God's, is the only way to enter his kingdom, and therefore the only way to keep him from perishing." Ask yourself, what are the various pieces of baggage that people want to hold on to as they enter from death to life? What are the plate, what are the pieces that you still have a tendency to long for, even on this side of the narrow gate? Always, a good, I'm I'm enjoying this devotional. I hope you are too. Um, I find it very thought provoking, and a good time in the morning to to go through that. Um, So thanks for being with me. Just, you know, there's only a few hundred of you, but, uh, you know, a few hundred, that's across all platforms, Um, but that's pretty cool. We get together, we read the Bible, and we talk about it. That's a good way to start the day. All right, it is Thursday, so it is Theology Thursday. We are going through the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, or the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And we are in chapter 19 of the law of God. There are seven paragraphs. We have looked at the first four. So today we are going to be looking at paragraph five. And we, uh, um, I'll read the first four and then we'll, I'll read five and we'll break it down. Um, Hopefully, as I read the previous paragraphs, you remember what we said about them, um, and, and, but it gets us back up to speed as we hit paragraph 5. So the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 19 of the Law of God, paragraph 1. God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written in his heart, and a particular precept of not eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil by which he bound him in all his posterity to personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience, promised life upon the fulfilling, and threatened death upon the breach of it, and endued him with power and ability to keep it. I Still, every time I read this paragraph, that phrase, personal, entire, exact, and perpetual obedience to the law of God, that is such a good phrase and... Uh, when we talk, go back and listen to our discussion of paragraph one, because I think it's, a, it's an important one. Paragraph two, the same law that was first written in the heart of man continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness after the fall and was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai in Ten Commandments and written in two tablets or two tables. The first four, the four first containing our duty towards God and the other six our duty to man. Paragraph 3 Besides this law commonly called moral God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances partly of worship preconfiguring Christ his graces actions sufferings and benefits and partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of reformation are By Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, and only lawgiver who was furnished with power from the Father, for that end abrogated and taken away. Paragraph 4. To them also he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired altogether with the state of that people, not obliging any now by virtue of that institution, their general equity only being of moral use. And now the paragraph we're looking at today, paragraph 5. The moral law does forever bind all, as well-justified persons as others, to the obedience thereof, and that not only in regard to the matter, matter contained in it, but also in respect of the authority of God the Creator who gave it. Neither does Christ in the gospel any way dissolve, but much strengthen this obligation. Believers are still bound to the law, the moral law, not the ceremonial law, not the the uh, um, territorial law. What's the 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 statutory laws of Israel, and not to the the ceremonial laws of temple worship, but the moral law, what is right and what is wrong, is binding on all people we as followers of Jesus Christ are to love what is right and do what is right. And the the way to know what is right is revealed to us in the word of God. And so the moral law does forever bind all the, the justified and the unjustified. Um, this is our standard of conduct. Now it is not a way of salvation. We, we, cannot perfectly keep the law but we're obligated to keep the law the moral law this is the standard of right and wrong by which we are to live now like i said it it it's it's not a matter of legalistic observance like the pharisees did but it is a matter of you know recognizing what is right and wrong Rejecting what is wrong and striving towards what is right, knowing that you're not going to be perfect in it. Um, I've used this example before, but I'll bring it up again. A professional baseball player's batting average. If a professional baseball player has a lifetime batting average in excess of 300, he's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) He's going to be one of the best hitters of all of baseball. Um, Now, now some, some good hitters may have stretches of four, even 500 batting averages, but lifetime over the whole life, if it's over 300, that's a good baseball player. Um, You know, I'm talking about, you know, at the professional level, I mean, I could probably go out and have a, you know, seven or 800 batting average against some little league pitcher. (laughs) Even even now, in my late fifties, um, but uh, and being out of shape. Um, I think I still remember how to swing a bat. <laughs> I might need to get new glasses before I try it. Um, I'm due for an optometrist appointment. So you know, but a, a professional baseball player against professional pitchers, if he has a lifetime batting average of 300, he's fabulous. Well, that still means that seven out of 10 times he came up to bat. He didn't get a hit. He either struck out or he hit the ball and it was caught or, you know, he, you know, he didn't get a hit. So he's only getting a hit three out of 10 times. Not perfect, (laughs) far from perfect, but fabulous. And, you know, not even 50%. I mean, this is the thing that not even half the time is he getting a hit. He's well below half. But in order to get to that 300 batting average, he has to be 100% committed. You know, there's no slacking off. There's no coasting at that level of sports. You're, You're constantly working on your, you know, he's taking batting practice every day. You know, hours and hours and hours in the batting cage, swinging at balls, working on his timing, working on his eyesight, working on his, his bat positioning constantly, you know, and probably not taking a day off during the, during the season. Um, maybe in the off season, <laughs> he may lay on the beach for a week, but it's only gonna be a short time before he's back, back in the batting cage. And that level of commitment is the commitment that the believer is to have toward the law. We are to, in the words of Psalm 1, you know, delight in the law of Yahweh and meditate on it day and night. Because it's only then that we have the wherewithal to recognize and resist that which is evil and to pursue after that which is good. You have to know it before you can do it. But even then, you know, being 100% committed to it, if you have a 300 batting average, you're doing great. And never expect to be perfect. Always strive to be better. And I think it's a direction, not a perfection, as it's been said. This is the way you're moving. This is what you're, what you're oriented towards is obeying God's moral code. Um, and you do it not just because it is right and wrong. You do it because it's God's moral code. And, and you are, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to be committed to be a follower of God. All right. Let's look at that first clause. The moral law does not forever does forever. <laughs> the moral law does forever bind all, as well justified persons as others, to the obedience thereof. I right, just spoke about that. Um, the uh, um, scriptural proofs we have here are Romans thirteen eight through ten. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this word. You shall love, or your, neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not work evil against a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So once again, think about this. You yeah. know. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said this is the first and second commandment. The greatest and the second greatest commandments in all of Scripture. And it does sum up the law. Now here, Paul is giving us the second table of the law. The second table of the law is our dealings with our fellow man. See, our dealings with God are taken care of at the cross. Not not removing our obligation to worship and obey him, but you know, it, if you have come to a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that has mitigated the first table of the law. You're still supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength um, and strive towards that. But he doesn't bring that up here. Here he's talking about the second table of the law. The second table of the law is how we relate to our fellow man. Do not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to sleep with his wife. Do not murder. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to kill him. Do not steal. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to take his stuff. Do not covet. you love your neighbor, you are not going to inordinately desire his stuff. You may very much admire, you know, your neighbor gets a brand new car. You know, your neighbor pulls up in a, a brand new Ferrari or something and you're just, oh wow, what a gorgeous car and you admire it. That is not coveting. Coveting is when I deserve that car and you start scheming on ways to get it from your neighbor. That's not loving. So he says, all of these commandments are summed up in you shall love the neighbor love your neighbors yourself because love doesn't do any evil to its neighbor. And therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So you can see how loving your neighbor fulfills all of that. And we are still under that obligation. James in two eight says the same thing. If however you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well. He goes on in verses ten and twelve, talking about the, the law and our responsibility to the law, it says for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. So here's the thing. What James is saying is, okay, he's not saying salvation by works. James and Paul agree on how a man is to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But what... James is saying is speak and act as if you were to be judged by the law. You know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that is not license to ignore God's moral standards. And indeed, ignoring God's moral standards flagrantly is a pretty good sign that you're not in Christ Jesus. Um, And so that's one of those things, you know, search your heart and make your calling and election sure in in you know am i really a christian if you are living in in blatant open sin and rebellion against god you need to question your relationship with him because if you have a relationship with him you are going to strive and act accordingly and that's what james is saying so that The obligation to obey the law is not removed by salvation. Indeed, it's actually kind of reinforced. The next clause, and that not only in regard to the matter contained in it, but also in respect of the authority of God, the creator who gave it. So we don't do what is right and reject what is wrong solely on the basis of that's right and that's wrong. It's also, we, we pursue the right and reject the wrong because this is God who told us to do it. So, the, the, you know, we are under the authority of God, the creator. And so, you know, you obey the one whose authority is over you. You're, you're either a slave of Christ or you're a slave of sin. But a slave obeys his master. Who is your master? God or sin? And so that's a very, very important thing. Now, the, the proof text we're given here is that same James 2, 10 and 11, about uh, you know, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. For he, and the he there is, is God, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So the the authority of the law is God's authority. God determines what's right and wrong, not you or I. And it is his authority that we are to submit to as followers of Jesus Christ. Then the next clause says, Neither does Christ in the gospel any way dissolve, but much strengthen this obligation. In coming to salvation and in the teachings of Jesus Christ, we are in no way released from the moral requirements of the law. We we are not free just to go sin to our wicked little heart's content. That is not the way of the Christian. We are to be moral, upright, striving to live righteous lives in accordance with God's revealed moral standard. And, and the coming of Jesus Christ doesn't take that away. And indeed, it strengthens it. Because now we have a much better understanding of all that God has done for us. And, and therefore, we, ha- we should be obeying it. Now, the text we're given here is Matthew 17 through 19. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away... Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, there are several ways that we can look at Jesus fulfilling the law. Certainly. He fulfilled all of the Old Testament texts of the first coming of the Messiah. All of the prophecies and promises, you know, are, are fulfilled in Christ. He also, and, and I speak about this a lot, you know, the, the active obedience of Christ, he kept the law perfectly. None of us have fulfilled the law in that sense, but he has perfectly. So he came to a fulfill it in that sense. But he he also you know, did not abolish the law in that it is still here. He said, not the smallest letter or stroke is going to pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So there is the promise here of prophecies yet to be fulfilled. But there is also the obligation to obey the commandments, as verse 19 says, Whoever then annuls one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So we are to obey not the ceremonial, not the civil, but the moral law of God, doing what is right, rejecting what is wrong, and teaching others to do what is right and to reject what is wrong. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? Yeah. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, observe is not watch. <laughs> don't just observe, oh, I'm observing the law. <laughs> no, no. You observe the law by keeping it. So in the Great Commission, we are to teach people to keep God's moral code don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. So as the church and as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to stand against, you know, sexual immorality, which is rampant in our society. And guess what? They will hate us for it. But it needs to be done because we are to stand for what is right. Quite honestly, I think this is kind of what Alistair Begg's run up against right now. He's lost sight of this. You know, he needs to stand more firmly. Now, I just I, I shouldn't have brought it up at this point, but since I did, let me say this. Alistair Begg has been vociferously clear that he believes homosexuality and transgenderism is a sin. The people involved in it need to repent and need to turn to turn to Christ, come to Christ in faith. He preaches the true gospel, And he is, by and large, for the vast majority of the things that he says, a solid Bible teacher. But in this instance, his advice to this proverbial grandmother to attend her grandson's transgender wedding is um, in, in, in some ways teaching someone to annul one of the commandments. Romans 3:31 Do we then abolish the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Yeah. The law is perfect and the law is to be obeyed. And again, we need to make a distinction. Not the not the ceremonial laws, we don't offer sacrifices. You know, we don't in in any real sense observe the passover now we may celebrate it we may have a passover meal i know a lot of christians who celebrate passover that way but we're not required to because we're not under, you know we're not under the ceremonial law of egypt or of israel we certainly don't bring you know we're not showing up on on uh every morning to the temple to, to sacrifice animals. Um, That doesn't take place. We're not obligated to do that. And so, you know, those, those obligations aren't there yet. The moral law, you know, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That is binding upon every Christian. So, you know, we don't abolish the law; we establish it, and that is paragraph five. So we will. We got two more paragraphs. Paragraph six is a long one. Um, scrolling through it. Uh, oh yeah, paragraph six is a real long one. We're gonna be busy next week. Uh, paragraph is kind of short. We may get paragraph six and seven in. I'm not sure. Six is pretty long. <laughs> He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the fourth Sunday of Epiphany. O God, you know that we are set in the midst of many grave dangers, and because of the frailty of our nature we cannot always stand upright. Grant that your strength and protection may support us in all dangers and carry us through every temptation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The Colic for Guidance Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life we may not forget you, But may remember that we are ever walking in your sight through jesus christ our lord amen and for the unrepentant we pray merciful god you desire not the death of sinners but rather that they should turn to you and live and through your only son you have revealed yourself as the god who pardons iniquity have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe awaken in them by your word and holy spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home, and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for today, and that is Squirrel Chatter for this week. As, once again, I want to remind you, I will not be here tomorrow morning. Um, Excuse me. And because this is the last Squirrel Chatter of the week, allow me to remind you to go to church on Sunday. Now, I know what you're thinking. Squirrel, you're not going to be in church on Sunday. You're going to be up at camp. Special occasion. <laughs> um You know, I'm traveling and believe me, I will be worshiping God with the folks at the camp. We will have services Sunday morning, Um, just not in the context of my local church. Um, But uh, I I don't, I I, I in no way feel like I am uh, abrogating my responsibility to worship the Lord this weekend. But you need to be in church if at all possible. So find yourself a good Bible-teaching church and commit yourself to it. Become an active part of it. Submit yourself to the leadership of the church. Sit under solid teaching of the Word. Worship with the saints. Be accountable and hold others accountable to the revealed will of God. And uh, that's, that's the way the Christian ought to live. All right, folks, have a great weekend. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. Go to church on Sunday. See you here Monday, another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.